Well, it's good to be with you guys today. I've been out of the state and out of town a bit this month and uh, even have been here but have had other guys teach for me. So um, excited to kind of pick back up in our marriage and family series, uh, which will probably be going uh, through September, I imagine. And uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Just read from 15 through 24. If you want to stand with me, I'll read it before we dig in. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You guys can go ahead and be seated. The child was a typical four-year-old girl, cute, inquisitive, bright as a new penny, When she expressed difficulty in grasping the concept of marriage, her father decided to pull out the old wedding photo album, thinking visual images would help. One page after another, he pointed out the bride arriving at the church, the entrance, the wedding ceremony, the recession and the reception, etc. Now do you understand, he asked. I think so, she said. Is that when mommy came to work for us? Well, this is the eighth session in our Gospel Family series, and it's the sixth one dealing particularly with this issue of submission. It's also really the last in this series before we get into the husband's role and responsibility In all of that, you know, we joke and we laugh that, yeah, mommy came to work for us, you know, and probably that rings very true for you moms. That's how it feels so often. But also as we deal with this issue of submission, this very biblical principle, oftentimes gals, you feel, you know, you feel suppressed and oppressed and, you know, that it's some sort of um, labor that is cumbersome and burdensome and almost slavish, but what we've attempted to do through this gospel family series is look at marriage and family and the roles God has given us through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of grace, through what Jesus has done in creating this wonderful union and creating these relationships in coming and living them out himself and demonstrating how they're to be lived out. 
uh, that we see how and why and what for through the good news of the gospel. And so as we deal with submission, we see there's freedom in the gospel, that there's freedom in forgiveness, that there's freedom in surrender, that there's motivation in all of this in Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably listened to thousands of sermons. You've probably been to marriage conferences and marriage retreats. You've read libraries of books and seminars dealing with marriage and family. But the truth is, until you experience marriage, you know, in the, uh, in the, in the trench, if you will, or where the rubber meets the road, you've got no idea. You've got no idea. Uh, I did a wedding two weeks ago. My sister-in-law and her husband, uh, well, her, yeah, I guess now it's her husband at the time. We renewed vows, really, is what, it, no, we, uh, it was a wedding, and it was awesome, and the, the great thing about it was that they were both cheerleaders for Oregon State and then for the Blazers, and so after the wedding, uh, you know, kind of their, like, dream is that, you know, they're in the wedding dress, and him in kind of the tuxedo is that they would, you know, he throws her up on his hands and does what's called a stunt, you know, and, and just has her, like, standing up on his hands, and, uh, you know, she was concerned because, you know, they do that all the time. It's no problem. In fact, my first date with Lindsay, who was also a cheerleader, oh yeah, she's like, it wasn't a date, but we all know it was. <laughs> but we went into Winco to get uh, ice cream, and lo and behold, one of her stunt mates is there in the ice cream section with a bunch of other cheerleaders. And I'm meeting them, and the next thing you know, in the ice cream section is Lindsay standing on a guy's hands, you know, trying to impress me. And it worked. <laughs> but back to my, my in-laws, it was so great because at the wedding, you know, we're in the backyard. It was a small wedding, only immediate family. And, uh, and this, I mean, we'd said, I do, like, ten minutes ago. And they're, uh, you know, they're discussing how they're going to get up on the hand, you know, uh, with the wedding dress on, you know. And a ten-minute debate went on of whether I should stand there, you know, to catch, you know. And no, it's too dangerous. And honey, honey you got to trust me now. This is where we begin the roles of submission and headship and, you know. And, uh, it, you know, it's all great and butterflies and unicorns and rainbows. But man, when you say I do within 10 minutes, it's like, do we stunt or not? Do you jump up or not? Do you submit or, you know, it, rubber meets the road, man. I thought I was really pleasant to live with in college. Two years of college, living with roommates. I'm a pretty good guy to, uh, to live with. And then you find out somehow through immediate matrimony that you're not that great to live with. You're not that pleasant. You're really not gracious. You're not clean at all. You know, it's, it's ugly. You know, you're, you have some rough edges that need to be filed off through the sandpaper or the rasp of a wife. And vice versa. Hus uh, vice versa, wives with husbands. It's been said that marriage is frighteningly self-revealing. Because somehow, in this God-ordained union that is different than college roommate, somehow it's different. Although I would use my roommate's toothbrush to stir up the fish tank and make them chase each other's around, 
But I didn't know it was his toothbrush until he came out and then started brushing his teeth with that. Uh, we find out how selfish we are and how self-consumed we can be. Marriage is steadily sanctifying, conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus as time goes on. Now, this is not an insult for those of you who've never been married. There's a wonderful thing about having never been married. It's a, it, there's a biblical, wonderful mission for those that have never been married or those that are widows and have been widows for a long time or maybe divorced. You know, God can use those seasons. But there's something sanctifying and refining in married people who've been married for decades that you don't see in people who've been single for decades. It's just the truth. All right? The Bible says it and experience proves it. Because there's this level of sanctifying, dying to self that happens on a day-to-day basis that just doesn't happen if you're single. George Gilder wrote in Men and Marriage... He said, marriage is the one institution that tames the chronic, deep-seated barbarianism of man. Some of you wives looked at your husband on week two of marriage and said, you're a barbarian. You are Conan. You're a monster. And then you proceeded to do some sort of exorcism, you know, as he was sleeping at night. And I don't know if it took, but, you know, marriage has this purpose of sanctification. It's for our holiness more than it's for our happiness. This happens by calling, motivating, motivating empowerment by the Spirit that we would copy and imitate Jesus within the context of marriage. God in his sovereignty has called husbands and wives to distinct roles that find their perfect expression within the Trinity. Wives operate in a Christ kind of submission voluntarily, though incredibly worthy Women voluntarily submit and esteem someone else as higher than themselves and look out for their best interests, while husbands operate in a Christ kind of love. There's these mutual responsibilities, and both, both for the husbands and the wives, require like a radical self-denial. They require being filled with the Spirit, as Paul said in our text in verse 18 of chapter 5, so they can take up their cross. Remember, one definition of marriage is that it's a choreographed dance of submission to love. God has designed the steps, if you'll Think of an old school cartoon where the cartoon characters are dancing and the chart of the dance moves is put up and there's the footprints and this line goes to this line and you know what I'm talking about. God has designed the steps as there's a leader, as there's a follower and it all will 
portray the gospel and give glory to God. And step number one of submission that we've been dealing with for some six weeks shows a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. And as the waltz goes on, she'll carry that through according to the gifts God has given her. And step number two, through the husband and his headship through love, shows this divine calling of a primary responsibility on the part of a husband to be a picture of Jesus in lion-hearted leadership to uh, protect and to provide for his wife and for his family. It makes a wonderful dance, a wonderful waltz, as husbands have wives, uh, have callings, and wives have callings. And so the calling of wives is submission. Submission is the destiny, really, of everyone, not just wives. Everyone who names the name of Jesus is to walk a walk of submission. Clear back in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. A spirit-filled person will submit to one another in the fear of God. A spirit-filled person will walk in submission to others. We see this all throughout the New Testament in many different roles. And so, as we've looked over the last six weeks, we've looked at a right definition of submission. And let me just really give you one of the best ones so far. Submission on the part of a Christian wife is defined as the voluntary yielding to the love of her husband. I believe that's one of the best gospel-centered definitions of, uh, of submission that we have found in our series. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's good definitions biblically of submission. There's good motivation biblically of submission. There's wonderful dignity in submission. We've looked at this week after week, but today... We look at the extent of submission. It's the last thing I really want to focus on in this marriage series. How far should we take submission? What is the extent? What's the degree or the level or the magnitude that my submission should show? Are there boundaries to submission? Are there limitations to submission? In our last verse we read earlier, it was Ephesians 5.24. It says, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In everything. Now the Greek word for everything means all things. And it's comparable to, in verse 22, it, as to the Lord as we've looked at a bit of a, of a husband's headship to spare nothing unto death, love his wife, and look for her greatest good, it's really a natural thing for a wife to want to submit 
to her husband in all things as he is dying to self looking out for her greatest good. As we've looked at this as to the Lord, Christ's concern is always the greatest good of the church, his bride. He's always looking out for her best interests. And the church, in turn, always submits to him in everything. It's a wonderful picture of headship and submission. And so a wife's submission is determined by the extent of the church's submission to Christ. As Christ looks out for her best, uh, the bride, the church's best interest, she in turn submits to him in everything. As a husband looks out for her best interest to the, to the wife, she in turn submits to him in everything. There is this dynamic between the church and Christ that we see over and over again in the New Testament. What Paul implies referring to Christ being head of the church, is first of all, his responsibility to us. Christ leads us, protects us, provides for us, just to name a few things. And our responsibility to Jesus is not to move independent from him or to refuse when he is leading us, but to respond eagerly as he directs us. And so if there's a misfire between the church and Christ, something is wrong. Jesus is called the head of the church. And when there's a misfire between the head and the body, there's something wrong, even on that human level. Whenever a human body acts independently from the head, it's called an abnormality. It's not normal. It might be called a convulsion or a stroke. But it's abnormal. You know, a convulsion may be on the lines of like uh, seizures or Parkinson's disease. And recently, a very good friend of mine that I was on staff with at Corvallis, he was the assistant pastor. Uh, he's had Parkinson's for probably eight years now. And uh, I got to see him last week at a Corvallis conference and, and hadn't seen him in years. And, you know, the Parkinson's, his you know, been showing its effect on his body as he just shook there, sitting in his chair. And so we just see that there was some, there's something different, something not normal in my friend Kurt's body uh, than years ago as I used to walk with him and talk with him. Uh, my grandpa was a very shaky man. Um, and even since he was young, he was a bombardier in the 8th Air Force in World War II, and he won the Pickle Barrel Award for being the most accurate uh, bomber and was the lead uh, bomber, bombardier in his unit. Uh, and yet he shook like crazy, and no one could understand how he was so accurate. Uh, in fact, later on in life, uh, I watched him try to talk on a, on a hand or a cordless phone, and he had to grab it and, and then lean up against a wall to keep that... Uh, phone against his ear. And so there's just something, you know, out of whack when there's convulsions. And you've heard the story of my father and when he had a stroke when he was 47 years old. And uh, at 47, you know, his uh, brain was impaired and disconnected from the whole left side of his body. 
couldn't use his left arm, couldn't use his left leg, uh, swallowing reflex gone. It was abnormal for his body to be disconnected from the head in such a way. Now these are different problems and yet not altogether different. There's some problem either not hearing from the head or acting independently from the head. And the church, the people within the church can act in the same way. As a congregation, we are never to act independently from our head, who is Jesus Christ. To do so would be that convulsion or that spiritual abnormality. On the other hand, we shouldn't drag our heels and be slow to respond when he marks out our path for us. That also would be a spiritual abnormality. And so we want to just be so cautious to never go beyond the lordship of Jesus and never to linger behind when there's been leading from Jesus. Our husband Jesus loves us, cares for us, gives his life for us, shows us his heart, what his plan is, what's best for us. And our response to that kind of loving leadership is to readily respond to trust and to obey his leadership over us. In doing that, we discover there is never a basis for any fear as we follow him. We never feel stifled by following Jesus or demeaned, though he is our head, though disregarded or debased or disappointed. We never feel exploited by our heavenly husband. It's the romance of Jesus in the church that can be and should be reflected in marriage. And the point of all of this is, as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife should submit in everything to her husband. Now, what does this everything mean? The Greek is all things, but still, everything? Well, we know from the whole context of Scripture what everything means. Sometimes as you're studying the Bible, you come to some things that maybe don't make sense. And at times you feel like you're putting a puzzle together and you've got, you know, 95% of a puzzle done. We know that this makes sense. We know that this is who God is. These are his attributes. This is his character. This is the mission of God. This is the whole story of the Bible. And it fits together. And yet we've got maybe this one thing that we're like, how does this work? How does this work in the scripture? And so we, we go to the word and we go to the context and we see that, oh, the edge of this little puzzle piece, you know, it's got the little spade looking thing, you know, and, and this edge over here, it's got the, the, the part that wraps in and this part and nope, doesn't fit there, doesn't fit there, can't pound it in here. Oh, fits in very nicely right there. And I think we can do that with this word everything. What does this submission and everything mean and what does it not mean? Well, what the call to submission does not mean, number one, is that all Christian women must submit to all Christian men. Okay? Now, sure, all Christians are to be in submission 
to one another, whether as citizens submissive to our governors or parishioners submission, uh, submissive to our pastors or employees submissive to our employers, your capacity to exercise a lifestyle of joy and eagerness of submission will be directly connected to your submission to Christ. We're to submit to one another, verse 21 told us. And if I can just camp on that for one second, Martin Luther said, as a general foundation for these duties, Paul lays down the rule that there is mutual submission that Christians owe to one another condescending to bear one another's burdens, not advancing themselves above uh, above others, nor domineering over one another and giving laws to one another. Where there is this mutual condescension and submission, the duties of all relations will be the better performed. And so we are to submit to one another. That is true. Life will be better the more we submit to one another. James tells us, where do wars and fights come from among you? It comes from the desire for pleasure and to see yourself succeed, which war within your members. And yesterday we were at a soccer tournament and then uh, we had a break between games and we went to my aunt's house and she has a beautiful pool, beautiful backyard pool, looks over Lake Oswego in Portland, just wonderful setting and We had friends from the church who were on the team join us. And we're just swimming and splashing and playing. And it's just so great uh, until the kids are all lining up on the diving board to take a plunge. And pretty soon, one kid is cutting in front of one of my kids. And there's a big old fight. And I'm hearing bickering and yelling and complaining and screaming and arguing. And, you know, I just, hey, hey, no, 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 don't do that, no. Uh, hey, hey, no, no, just let him go first. Let him go first. Hey, come over here. Come over here. I was like, hey, Jesus calls us to put other people first. Well, this is like the 10th time I've let him go first. I'm like, you know what? Let there be 10 more. But I haven't got to go yet. I'm like, you know what, son? If we're here all day long and you just keep getting to show preference and honor to this other buddy, then let that happen. Sacrifice and submit and show preference to your brother. And it was just so crazy how the tears flowing and the frustration, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm. And I'm like, son, do you hear the word that keeps coming out of your mouth? It's I, 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 me, me, me. And whenever we're looking out for number one, there will be war. But if we look at Jesus, who esteemed others as better than himself, who who did not look out for his own interests, but for the interests of others, life and joy comes. And actually, he was given the name that's above every other name. You know, son, you know, Jesus says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Got to remember that. Doesn't mean that other just sources don't come and put order to things. But as far as depends on you, you esteem others first. 
We're to submit to one another. And when we do, there will be great joy, great order. There's a German word, Hastoffel. Perfect accent, how I just said it. But what it means is house table. House table. And what it refers to is basically the order of roles and responsibilities within society, within different relationships. But it's, it's known in Germany to be coined by Martin Luther in referring specifically to order within a home and roles and responsibilities within a home. This haustafel, haustafel, whatever, however you say it, uh, it shows order that God has given. And it's wives to husbands. When we're talking of that house table within the home, wives to husbands. As you think of this own husbands that Paul says, wives, verse 22, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, verse 24, love your wives. There's something that gals need to ask themselves getting into this. And most of you are married. There's not a lot of single gals here, but if you are, this is great advice. I say it still because we've got little girls being raised up within our church. We've got young ladies being raised up. We're discipling young women. We've got relatives. You've got granddaughters. And a wonderful just nugget of wisdom from Ephesians 5 to ask your little ones You always need to ask, is this the man that I am prepared to yield the rest of my life? Is this a man that I can respect and honor and submit to until death do us part? And many young women go into marriage never asking themselves, Am I prepared to take on this role? It's something that parents and pastors and friends cannot answer for the young lady. Are you ready to voluntarily submit yourself to that kind of love? You might like his looks. You might like what he likes and dislike what he dislikes, whether that's outdoors, the parents, the dogs, the color blue, You might vote the same way. That is irrelevant. As to women, will you be prepared to yield to him for the rest of your life? A Puritan once wrote, If you will have the management of a ship, see that a fool is not placed at the helm. And there's times of wisdom to really think those things through. And so there's a submission, but it's not just women to men. In Paul's context, it's Christian wives to their husbands. It protects a woman from having duties to just any other man or anybody One man prayed this out from Ephesians 5. God, help us from the thought that women were created to be submissive people. A godly woman should never lower her standards as she goes towards marriage. 
Marrying a man who does not have the intellectual or spiritual strength to lead the home is just asking for trouble. The second thing that submission does not mean is that the husband is an ultimate authority. There are other authorities that God brings into our lives as well. The church is an authority that God has put in our lives and over us. And church leadership, if your husband is in sin, wives, call for the elders of the church. God has also put us in the governing authorities' care. God has given them as ministers, Romans 13 says, to execute judgment on those who are practicing evil. And I say this because there are very, there's a large number of men that are tyrannical in their leadership. They're cruel. They are abusive. And I don't use that word lightly. I think it can be used lightly and I think it can be misused. But there's abuse going on and wives feel like they just got to take the beatings and take the lickings. Because after all, I'm called to submit. But there are other authorities as well that God has ordained to protect a wife. Submission does not mean that the wife becomes a slave who never opens her mouth or ever gives her opinion or her counsel. We see this in Genesis chapter 21 in Abraham's life. Where it says in Genesis 21, 8, the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast. On the same day, Isaac was weaned and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she'd born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. Because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. And so there's this level of submitting to one another, even within marriage, where, gosh, a wife will speak, whether it's concerns she has, cares that she has fears that she has, aggravations that she has. And wisdom from the Lord would be whatever your wife has said to you, listen to her. There are times when that's the case. There are times when God uses godly women to speak into men's lives. And don't get me wrong, I believe the offices of of elder and deacon are reserved as a role for men in Timothy. First Timothy, we see that. Doesn't mean though that women don't have wonderful gifts and wisdom and insight to share. In Acts chapter 18, you see um, uh, rather Apollos who was educated and just, man, he had great tact. He had great oratory skill. He had everything that you'd think you'd need. And yet here comes a man and wife team, Aquila and Priscilla, and they both began to speak into his life discipleship and educating him. 
In Judges chapter 13, verses 21 through 23, an angel of the Lord appears to Manoah and his wife. Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we're going to die because we've seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things at this time. And so just kind of like a word of wisdom, just rightly, fitly spoke in Manoah's life by his wife, that we're not all going to die. The sky isn't falling. And you, you don't hear from Manoah, why don't you just learn your place, you know? If I say we're all going to die, we're all going to die. You know, no, there's, there's these different, man, the Lord has just made us so different that just sometimes just the perspective of a wife, just there's wisdom there. There's just, man, there are so many wonderful, beautiful gifts that a wife brings to the table that just, let's just simmer down, honey. <laughs> let's just simmer down. Let's trust the Lord. There's a place for them to speak into our lives. Proverbs, the wisdom to young men. In chapter 19, verse 14, it tells us that a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife, tactful wife, is from the Lord. Some women go to the Bible and they see, well, Colossians 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 7, say, wives, submit to your husband. And what many wives hear is, he makes all the decisions, he alone thinks through all the issues, he's the boss, I shut up and do what I'm told. And that's not what those texts speak of. We can look at Jesus and his submission. And how he submitted to the Father while he was on the earth. And he says, the Father has sent me. I say what the Father tells me to say. I do what the Father tells me to do. Even in the garden, Jesus says, here's what I want. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in all of his submission, we see that he's submissive, but he's also passionate. He's submissive, but he pleads. He's submissive, but he's vocal. He's not just always silent and passive and without opinion. No conversation, no communication. With Jesus, he submits, but he's passionate. And for a wife to submit to her husband is to submit to her husband in a way that Jesus submits to God the Father. Trusting the Lord in that. Many wives are overly silent and overly compliant. And there can be the issue of the fear of man in that. Biblical counselor Ed Welch writes, Fear in the biblical sense is to be afraid of someone. She's afraid of her husband, his displeasure, frustration, discouragement. But fear can also extend to holding someone to a place of awe. Oh, my husband's way too big and Jesus is way too small. We can be controlled and mastered by people. I just do what he says. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, Welch says, we fear others. In our teens, it's called peer pressure. 
When we're older, it's called people-pleasing. A newer term being used is codependent. Or I would add, Welch says, in an unhealthy marriage, enabling. Enabling. There's a difference between submitting and enabling. Submitting says he's submitted to the Lord and I'm submitted to him, helping him to honor the Lord. But enabling says he is not submitted to the Lord and I'm still helping him to do things that are not honoring to the Lord or in ways that are dishonoring to the Lord. A wife who does this is disrespectful to the Lord and to the husband. Enabling is not helping. There's some incredible passages that Peter speaks out in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I wish I had verse 5 written down there, but let me, because uh, <clears throat> I was reading it this morning. And James 1st and 2nd, Peter 1st and 2nd and 3rd, John Jude, and then the very last book is the Revelation. Okay. Man, there's so much good stuff. Let's just start at chapter 3, verse 1. I know you don't have your Bibles open. It's not on the screen, so just listen. Wives likewise, like what? Like Jesus was submissive. That's in chapter 2. Wives likewise, be submissive in, to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And as you jump down in verse 5, for in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Peter gives us as example two women who are dealing with pagan husbands who are not saved. And he says, wives, be submissive in the way Jesus is submissive. Let your conduct be holy and honorable and win your husband over by your chaste conduct. Be submissive. The language is obey, and Peter actually uses it. Obey your husband in the same way that Sarah did, even though Abraham was off his rocker with the whole Abimelech thing. She obeyed him and she honored him. She showed him honor by calling him Lord. Not deifying him, calling him God, but master. Speaking forth the role of submission. Grudem says, An attitude of submission to a husband's authority will be reflected in numerous words and actions each day which reflect deference to his leadership an acknowledgement of his final responsibility. The temptation to think that my life will be miserable if I do what the Bible tells me is there, though. Husbands are inconsiderate, they're rude, they're abrasive, they can be harsh, mean, they can be dangerous. But we don't live out of fear, we live out of faith. We trust the Lord at his word. There's a lot of things that God calls us to do that abuses in this world 
make what would seem to be them null and void. But he says, trust me in this. Don't live out of a worst case scenario mindset. Live out of a hope for best case scenario. And yet we try to rebel or we don't trust him. We feel like I can't trust anyone but myself. I'm the smartest, wisest, safest person I know. That's the deceit of Genesis chapter 3. What else is submission not? Submission does not mean that the wife is inferior to her husband. You're not inferior. You're, you're valuable. You're equal to your husband in value and in worth. And Peter tells us, just the next verse from what we were reading, that wives are, to, or excuse me, husbands are to give honor to their wives. When was the last time you honored your wife, husbands? But it says honor her because you are heirs together, joint heirs of the grace of life. We're joint heirs. Submission doesn't mean that a wife is inferior to her husband. The fifth thing, the call to submission does not mean that a Christian wife must follow her husband into sin. Six, submission does not mean that a wife is to submit without limitations. She must only submit as is fitting in the Lord. Colossians 3, almost a parallel passage says, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Easy to do because everything Jesus does for the church is bound up with her greatest good and her holiness in mind. There's an extent to your submission, gals, wives. You are to submit to your husband in all areas until two things happen. Either he forbids you to do something that God commands or commands you to do something that God forbids. Either one of those things point to that he is not leading as Jesus Christ. That the wife's welfare is not his greatest concern. So then she can confer to the greatest authority of her life, the Lord. Matthew Henry wrote, Let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, in everything to which their authority justly extends itself in everything lawful and consistent with the duty of God. A secondary authority of a husband or a pastor who's an under-shepherd or a king, these are always secondary, even if it's been ordained by God. Even if the government, which is ordained by God, asks us to do something that's in defiance against God, forbidding us to do what God commands or commanding us to do something God forbids, then humbly, in a Christian manner, with the word of God laid out before us, we say, I cannot submit to you because here is what the word says. In a marriage context, honey, Call in sick for me, will you? But you're not sick. Hey, honey, we made $70,000 jointly, but I think we should only report $45,000. It's amazing how often we see fraud within uh, tax preparation, even among Christians. 
Here's one that I've heard. Honey, let's wreck our snowmobile and turn it into the insurance so we can get a better snowmobile. Okay. This happens. Honey, I don't want you to go to church. Honey, I don't want you to read the Bible. We have examples of these things in the scriptures in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. In Daniel 3, you cannot pray or appeal to any other God. In Daniel 3, it's spoken to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you need to bow down to this image or face death. When they didn't bow down, Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Here's how they responded. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. The king says, bow, you're going to be killed if you don't. And they said, you're commanding us to do something that God forbids. In Daniel chapter 6, they forbid Daniel to do something that God commanded, which was prayer. It says in Daniel 6, 6, the governors, the satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All of the governors of the kingdom, the administrations and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever prays to any God, petitions any God or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decrees and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the decree was, the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You forbid me to do something God commands, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it right now. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel in the temple courts. And they were commanded by the Sanhedrin to stop. In Acts chapter 5 verse 28, they said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Later on, verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. The prophets, the fathers of the faith, they lived with the consequences of submission to God. Anything else is idolatry. Now hear this. We're called to submit to one another. And there are roles and offices in our community, in our government, in our church, and in our home that God says it is imperative that you obey. And so, if you decide that it is time to disobey, you'd better have biblical basis. You'd better have before the Lord a strong, exegetical, 
exegetically sound case. Not just random verses that you've pulled out of the Bible. What has been called evangelical cigarettes as you strip them out, take a deep drag on them and toss them to the curb after they've fulfilled your pleasure. The, the word of God can't be just stripped and taken out of context. And so if God, if you think God is saying to dishonor your husband and to not submit him, you had better have a sound biblical argument. And I would say you should come with that argument to the elders of the church and ask them if your Bible interpretation is sound. It's the same with the police. It's the same with our president. It's the same with our governing authorities. And as humbly as I can possibly say, it's the same with the elders that God has put over this local body. If you're going to go in another direction, man, you dot every I and you cross every T according to the rules of Bible interpretation and make sure that you're not just bucking the roles that God has placed over you in your life to protect you and to lead you home safely. Okay? All right. And so we're called to submit one to another and wives, you're called to submit to your own husband, unless that husband forbids you to do something God commands or commands you to do something God forbids. Come on up, worship team, and we'll wrap up here. The church's submission to Jesus Christ is encompassing and unqualified, which means unlimited, unrestricted submission to Jesus in everything he says. He's Proven that he has authority and he's worthy. A wife's submission to her husband is encompassing yet qualified. It is limited and restricted by her ultimate allegiance and devotion to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we know, I know, they know, we know that husbands are just men and the best one is a man at best. The best husband is a sinner that hopefully will be saved by grace. And even those men that are so often like the Abrahams and so often just stumbling and bumbling through life. Lord, there's this beautiful calling for the wives to win them over and help them towards your kingdom through obedience and reverence. We know, God, we, we hear it every day in the news, in the media, in our own lives, and we feel it tearing at the door of our heart that submission is evil, that there's a better way. 
that we're to exalt ourselves and that wives are to exalt themselves. After all, they're little princesses, child of the king. And yet, Lord, there's more than that. And Lord, I pray for the wives here that no doubt today they feel areas that maybe they have just failed in this area of a voluntary yielding to their own husbands. Lord, I pray that they would come to the waters and the fountains of grace. They would just drink from your cup, Lord, and find refreshment. They would see the true model of it in Scripture, even lived out in the Son's submission to the Father. And Lord, we know that every one of us, husbands here, citizens here, people who call this church their home, we've all erred in the area of submission. And Lord, we want to humble ourselves in this last song. We want to esteem others first. We want to yield to one another as we yield to you, Lord. And in the context of today, just a call to you wives to afresh yield your heart to the Lord, yield your heart to the gospel, confess your sin and your failures and your rebellion and your disobedience before the Lord, receive sweet, refreshing forgiveness found in Jesus. Rejoice in clean robes of righteousness being placed upon you. And hear the call to sin no more. When it's easy, Lord, when it's hard, we just pray for these wives that they'd be able to walk in victory. Let's stand together. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord, believing that he will bring exaltation in his own time. And as he does, we'll just turn it right back to him and give him glory and honor. Let's close with this last song.